0: My name is Brian, and I'm the lead pastor at Grand Valley Church. We hope that this message helps you explore faith and connect with Jesus. welcome to Grand Valley Church Online. My name is Brian. I'm glad that you're here with us. Today, our online service is going to be about 30-ish minutes long, and we're going to be continuing our series on the book of Jonah. But before we get to that, if I could kind of pan this camera around, you would see that right now our auditorium looks a bit like a disaster beyond what you can see through the camera right now. And that's because we are in the middle of doing some big upgrades to our technical and our network systems here so that when we resume gathering in person, we will be able to live stream the service to everyone who's still at home. So we're excited about that. It's also uncharted territory. It's something new for all of us. And so I would really appreciate your prayers and your patience as we're figuring this out, as we're going to be kind of working through some of the glitches and issues that are bound to happen as we are all venturing into something that's new together. And if you would like to get the updates about when that's coming up, we don't have any dates yet, but we're working towards it. I'd like to encourage you to click the link in the description and fill out our online Connect card. And we send out two emails every Sunday morning. One is the kids Own at Home to help you as parents have faith conversations with your kids. And the second is our kind of weekly update and service link. And that's where we'll be announcing stuff first. And so if you're not getting those emails, click the link in the description and sign up. Or if you have questions, comments, things to ask about our church, you can do all that through there. Today we are doing part two of our series on Jonah. Jonah is this little book found near the end of the Old Testament. And you might know a bit of the story of Jonah already. You might know that Jonah gets told by God to go to the city of Nineveh, but instead he runs away. And as he hops a boat and they're sailing across the Mediterranean Sea, a big storm comes upon the boat and they don't know what to do. They've thrown their cargo overboard. The sailors are praying to every God they can think of. But then Jonah takes responsibility for the storm. And Jonah says, This is my fault. And so the sailors throw Jonah overboard at Jonah's request. And immediately the storm stops and the sailors commit their lives to follow God. And so as Jonah is sinking in the ocean, he finally cries out to God. And God arranges for a great fish, sometimes we describe a great big whale, grabs Jonah and swallows him. And Jonah spends three days in the belly of the great fish. And in that time, he praise now that's the part of the story we often know but the great fish in the book of jonah only appears in three verses and as we talked about last week there are bigger messages in the book of jonah than jonah being swallowed by a big fish in fact the message that we talked about last week comes from jonah's prayer that as he thought he had gone as far as he possibly could get from god he is sinking down into the depths the heart of the sea He cries out to God, and God rescues him. And that reminds us that no matter how far we run from God, God never runs from us. And so we're going to pick up the story where we left off. And the last verse of Jonah 2 says, Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Now, we don't know where this beach is. We don't know how far he is from Nineveh. But in chapter 3, it starts this way. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. God gives Jonah a second chance. And this reflects Jonah 1, how it begins, where God tells Jonah, get up and go to Nineveh. And so he says to him again, get up and go. And so Jonah travels to Nineveh. We don't know how far away he was at this point, but when he enters, Jonah tells us this. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. That's it. That's the whole message he gives. Eight words in English. In the Hebrew, it's even shorter. It's only five words. And this stands out as different to us from many of the other minor prophets because most of the prophets, in fact, all the prophets except for Jonah, when they speak, they give these long speeches that are steeped in metaphors and parts of their history and imagery and talks about, here's how you could repent, here's how you could turn from your ways, here's what God's going to do. They're these massive, long speeches that are often quite eloquent. Jonah says five words in Hebrew. No real time frame other than to say 40 days. Now, 40 days didn't mean a literal 40 days. It just meant a time from now. Sometime from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Doesn't say by who, doesn't say how, doesn't say what they can do to prevent it. It's almost like Jonah does not want Nineveh to have a chance. Now, what happens next is surprising. Because when this message gets declared to the city, as he's shouting this to the crowds traveling around the city, the entire city repents. The king issues a decree calling for a city-wide fast. No food, no water, no drinking. Just pause what you're doing and repent. Pray to God. In fact, he even says everyone put on sackcloth, which means like the itchy, scratchy, Fibers, wear terrible clothing, and in fact, put sackcloth on all the animals too, because all the animals they have to repent for something so that Nineveh doesn't get destroyed. It is this extreme response. In fact, Jonah is the most successful prophet ever. Because here's the way that it tells the story. When God saw that they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and he did not carry out the destruction he had done. Threatened, So the response of the city, the 100% repentance and devotion to God that immediately this whole city and even the animals shows, makes God change his mind and he doesn't carry it out. So like I said, Jonah is by far the most successful prophet and evangelist in scripture, period, bar none. Jonah is at the top, even on the day of Pentecost. After the Holy Spirit comes, and we're jumping to the New Testament for a moment here, even in the book of Acts, when Peter gives that great big speech on the day that the Holy Spirit arrives, it says 3,000 were added to their number. This is a lot more than 3,000 people. In fact, the last verse of the book of Jonah lets us know it was 120,000 people. So you'd think at this point, Jonah would be happy. But instead of being excited about Nineveh's response, Jonah gets angry at God for showing mercy. And so Jonah complains to the Lord about it. And here we get a picture of Jonah's motivation, why he did this. Jonah says to God, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. Jonah's saying, I knew you would be graceful i knew you'd be merciful in fact he goes on he says i knew you were a merciful and compassionate god slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love now these are all compliments these are all descriptions of god's character but jonah we have almost have to read this with a sense of sarcasm that jonah's going oh i knew you were a merciful and compassionate god you're so slow to get angry you're filled with unfailing love You're so eager to turn back from destroying people. Like, that's the way Jonah would say this. He's angry at God over these, quite frankly, wonderful qualities of who God is. And so Jonah is so disappointed. In fact, Jonah's disappointment over Nineveh's repentance proves that Jonah ran away because he wanted to see Nineveh be destroyed. Now we don't know exactly why. We can kind of infer some things from the scripture and a lot of scholars have spent a lot of time listing these are the possible reasons that maybe Jonah was scared and just could see into the future somehow, knew that Nineveh was going to rise up. And Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. And later on, Assyria would overpower and conquer the nation of Israel. And so maybe Jonah knew of that. That's why he wanted Nineveh destroyed. Or maybe he wanted Nineveh destroyed as an example and it would make Israel suddenly kind of wake up and pay more attention. Whatever Jonah's motives were, he was so disappointed that Nineveh repented. And so God says to Jonah this, he says, is it right for you to be angry about this? Is it right for you to be angry that the people of Nineveh repented? And so here's what happens next. Jonah goes outside the city and he finds a hilltop that he overlooks the city and he sits down and he says, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to wait and see what happens. I'm going to wait and see if this repentance is really true or if they're going to just turn back to their evil ways immediately and God's going to destroy the city. He says, I'm just going to sit here and wait. And so God does something. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Now, this is the only verse in the whole book of Jonah where he is happy. In fact, he's not just happy. This very grateful is like an exuberant rejoicing. Jonah is deliriously happy that this plant grew up and shaded him from the hot sun in the area of what is present-day Iraq. So this is hot, arid climate. And this plant gave him shade. But God's not done. In fact, the next verse tells us this. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. So Jonah is exuberantly happy about this plant. And the next day as the plant withers and dies, he's throwing in the towel and says, I can't go on living like this. But it's still his choice to sit out here in the sun and watch the city. Let's not forget that. So then God speaks to Jonah again. He says, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? And this time, Jonah actually responds. He says, yes, even angry enough to die. Now, let's notice something here. God asks two very similar questions. And to paraphrase verse 4, he says this, is it right for you to be angry about mercy for Nineveh? And then a few verses later, after the plant grows and then dies, God says to him, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? These are two questions of very different scales. You know, mercy for Nineveh is a massive, huge thing. A plant dying, you know, you may love gardening, and this year I've had a little bit of success with gardening. I still don't think I have a green thumb. But a plant dying is pretty small in comparison to mercy for the whole city of Nineveh. Now, Jonah didn't answer when God asked about his anger towards the mercy, but he answered when God asked him about his personal comfort. In fact, God knows what Jonah's thinking. He knows what he's feeling. He says, you feel sorry about the plant. Though you did nothing to put it there, it came quickly and it died quickly. God's even pointing out Jonah did nothing to get this plant, to get the shade, he was so happy, and did nothing in its death. Jonah had no influence or involvement with it, whatever. Now, if we look at Jonah's actions, in the whole story, looking at what we talked about last week in chapters 1 and 2, and looking at the way that Jonah responds to these two questions. Now, we can't really psychoanalyze Jonah, but there's some things that we might notice about him. In fact, I think that Jonah's actions display a high level of narcissistic and selfish behaviors. He cares more about his reputation as a prophet and his own comfort than God showing mercy to Nineveh. In fact, Jonah He was so angry when God showed mercy because he said, what I prophesied won't come true, so what good of a prophet am I? He just cares about his reputation more than the lives of 120,000 people. In fact, that shows a massive lack of empathy on Jonah's part. And so God goes on, and this is the last verse of the book. God says this, But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? God just leaves it with that question. And the book of Jonah ends on that cliffhanger of God asking this question of Jonah, and then we do not know what his response is. But there's some questions happening in this book of the bible in fact there's some questions happening that scholars have talked about and understood and said that when this story is being told well what is this story meant to teach as a whole and one of the questions that keeps coming up is this one it says that and this is kind of jonah is the answer to this question question says what right do we have to demand that god shows favor to us and not to others because God actually showed pretty massive favor towards Jonah in rescuing him from drowning, having the whales spit him out on the beach instead of just somewhere in the ocean and making him swim. And then God shows favor in giving Jonah a second chance. And then he shows him favor again with the brief respite of the plant. But God shows favor to the people of Nineveh. And Jonah is angry and upset about that. So what right do we have to demand that God only shows favor to us and not to others? In fact, Jonah's actions go even beyond that. They show he does not care what happens to people outside of the nation of Israel. He thinks that God should only show favor to Israel itself and no one else. In fact, I want to talk a little bit about the timeline here for a moment and how this factors in now like i said before in the beginning of this message and last message we don't know the exact date and time we do know who was king during the time when jonah went and did this because jonah is mentioned in a different book of the bible just one verse one mention is all we have but if we look at this time period and this is kind of iron age history era if we go back and what leads up to what we know and what we call the second exile In 930 BC, so well before Jonah, is when the united monarchy, when Israel as a nation, splits in half. The northern half keeps the name Israel, the southern tribes take the name Judah. So that's 930 BC. And then during the reign of King Jeroboam II, so 790 to 750, somewhere in there is when this happens, when Jonah goes to Nineveh. Now, about a chunk of, now we don't know exactly when, 790 to 750, but in 722, Assyria, which Nineveh was the capital of, invades Israel, the northern kingdom, and they conquer it. And then about 30 years later, Babylon is the, the conqueror that comes in and takes over Assyria, including the land that used to be the kingdom of Israel. And then in 587 and 586, so we're about 200 years after Jonah, Babylon invades judah and that begins what we call the second exile when the people of israel no longer have any portion of the promised land that they entered so many years before now i bring this up in this little history lesson because the meaning of jonah becomes clearer when we read it in the context of the second exile so jonah happens before the second exile But for the Israelites, who are now scattered and spread throughout what used to be Assyria and is now the kingdom of Babylon, and some people may have returned to live in the land, but most Jewish people did not return into the land. In fact, Babylon became this central gathering point for people of the Jewish faith for many centuries before there was kind of a movement back to what is now modern-day Israel, to that part of the Mediterranean kind of area. So there's this question of, does God show favor to people who are not descendants of Abraham? And so if you read Jonah, during this era where the Israelites and the descendants of Abraham have lost the land, and they believed all their promises, all the favor God showed them was tied to keeping the land, and now they've lost the land, and now they're living in a foreign nation, and now they're trying to figure this out. And then they think back to this story of Jonah, where Jonah goes and sees God pour out his favor and blessings upon a foreign nation who would one day rise up and conquer Israel. So does God show favor to people who are not the descendants of Abraham? The book of Jonah actually gives a resounding yes. Jonah himself does not. Jonah doesn't want to see that at all. But the book itself says yes. And in fact, this goes all the way back to the beginning of the story. Abraham in fact before Abraham was Abraham his name was just Abram and Genesis 12 verses 1 to 3 which forms the beginning of the whole narrative of the Old Testament says this the Lord said to Abram leave your native country your relatives and your father's family and go to the land I will show you see everything in the Old Testament about Israel is tied to the land somehow goes on, it says, I will make you into a great nation. And there was an era, that era of the united monarchy, when Saul and then David and Solomon were king, when Israel was a great nation. And when they split in half, the southern kingdom had some success, but the northern kingdom did not. And eventually they were conquered. And even when they returned from the second exile, the ancient Israel never rose to the same level it was at during that time period says this, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. See, right in the very beginning of this story is this piece talking about how Israel is meant to be a blessing to others. And then God goes on, he says to Abram this, he says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. See, right in the very beginning of their story, is this promise. And we know now that when God said this, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. He is already foreshadowing that one day God himself would put on human flesh and step into the world, that Jesus would enter into the world to pave a new way for people to have a relationship with God. That is the promise that began at the very beginning of Israel's story. And so Jonah serves as this encapsulation, in some ways, of all of Israel's history, a way of summarizing it together through the actions and time period of this one prophet. In fact, one of the other messages of Jonah is that Jonah teaches us the foolishness of putting our selfish desires ahead of what is good for other people. Jonah's desire for reputation, Jonah's desire for safety, In fact, I think even Jonah's desire for Israel to be stronger in relation to the nations around it was part of his own selfish desires because he couldn't see what God was doing on a bigger scale. But the second thing that Jonah teaches us is that we do not have an exclusive claim on the goodness of God's favor and blessings. Ancient Israel didn't have that. First century Israel did not have that. The church, followers of Jesus, do not have that today. We cannot claim exclusively that God only wants good things for us when it is clear, time and time again through Scripture, that God's favor and blessings He wants to give to everyone. In fact, Jonah tries to prevent God's plan from happening at every turn. But at the end, even Jonah is faced with the reality that God wants to show His mercy his grace and love to everyone. So when God ends the book of Jonah by asking this question, shouldn't I care about the 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness? Shouldn't I show mercy to them? When we imagine ourselves sitting, listening to a teacher, listening to maybe a parent, an aunt or an uncle, telling us this story for the first time, And if you read Jonah in one sitting, it's a small book, it's very easy to do that. If you listen to Jonah in one sitting, at the end when God asks that question, our answer ought to be a resounding yes. God wants to show his mercy, grace, and love to everyone. That's the message of the book of Jonah. And so as we think about our faith today, Are we living our lives realizing that God wants to show his mercy, grace, and love to everyone? Are we living our lives in a way where we take our selfish desires, our desires for reputation, our desires for our own goodness, for favor to be on us, and setting that aside when we see what is best for others? Because in a community, in our world, when we choose to put each other first, That's when society changes. In fact, I don't know who the source of this quote is. I'm sure someone can Google it and find it for me. Maybe send me a comment, let me know. But the goodness of a society should be determined by how we treat the least fortunate. For Jonah, the people of Nineveh were seen as evil, were seen as terrible, were seen as awful, were seen as the enemy. And Jonah was confronted with the fact that God wanted him to go and proclaim a message of mercy, grace, and love. Instead, Jonah just said, you're going to be destroyed. And when they repented, God poured out his love and grace upon them. So are we, as followers of Jesus today, are we pouring out God's mercy, grace, and love to everyone? And what does that look like in our lives? So there's, there's so much more in the book of Jonah. As I was studying and preparing for this, I kept thinking, man, this could be a longer series, but I'm going to keep it to just two weeks and wrap it up there. And next week, we're going to be back and we're going to be starting a brand new series together that I hope you'll join me for. And I'm not telling you the title of it today because, well, actually, I just haven't made the graphic yet. But next week, we got a surprise as we are launching into a brand new series here as a church. So I hope to see you online next Sunday. Hope you're having a great week. And as always, if you have questions, comments, you want to ask more, dive into this topic, please send me a message through our online connect card. Send me an email. I'd love to have a conversation with you. Hope you have a great week. I'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you know of someone that would benefit from hearing the message you just listened to, would you do us a favor and share this podcast with them? And while you're at it, please consider subscribing to be the first to hear when our podcast is updated. If you want to join in on Sundays, our services are streaming online at 11 a.m. central to find out more about our church, go to mygrandvalley.ca, And you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for my grand valley. Thanks for listening i